Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working, phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn, to hear what other leaders are doing, to hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics. I'm your host, Paul Lachlan, and with me today is Richard Pugh. He's Mango's Chief Data Scientist with over 20 years experience working with data. Plus, he's also the co-founder of the agency Mango, and as that, Richard has led a wide range of groundbreaking data science projects for some of the world's most forward-thinking companies. He's also passionate about supporting the R and data science communities. He co-authored the book R in 24 Hours, quite a a speed learn there, Uh, was the first president of the R Consortium, sits on the Royal Statistical Society's Data Science Section Committee and regularly speaks at events. And I have heard tell he actually sleeps. He says he uses his experience to help companies make better decisions through data and remove any perceived constraints on the limits of data science, sharing that it can inform and transform all aspects of a business. Welcome, Rich. Thanks, Paul, and uh, great to be talking with you today. Great great to have you as a guest too. Looking forward to this conversation. I should say to listeners, uh, Richard and I have, have known each other for a number of years now, and I've seen how passionate he is about advancing data science and the use of R, two subjects we'll, we'll definitely explore further. It'll also be good to have his voice on our podcast to balance some of the skepticism about data science, etc., that I've included from the voices of other hands-on data leaders. So yeah, should be a good conversation. Richard, I've started with every leader, asking them to tell us a bit about their background first, their career stories, so we kind of understand where you're coming from. Could you tell us a bit about your background and how you ended up forming the the agency Mango? Yeah, sure, Paul. So my background, so I described myself, I guess before the term data scientist was available, I I was describing myself as a rather odd statistician, I think back in the day. So (laughs) I'm a statistician by training, right? So I studied maths and stats at Bath and, you know, and, and in hindsight, some brilliant people like David Draper and Chris Jennison and so on. Mm. Um, and then when I when I started in industry, what I found is that my my passion for coding and programming meant that I looked at analysis projects in a very different way. So if I was given an analysis project, um, instead of actually solving the modeling project in front of me, I would write the code with all the parameters and so on that would actually, in some respects, automate the analysis mm. project I was doing. And then I essentially reduced my role to, you know, running code SAS at the time, you know, um, but with different parameters. And, and I actually actually managed to automate myself out of two jobs, basically. Um, and when I when I asked what else, what else I should do next, they were like, no, you can, I'm pretty happy for you to hit F8 with different parameters for the rest of your career. So I realized I needed to, uh, to move on. So so I was looking for something different and I managed to, um, I joined a company called Insightful, 
who were the developers of a piece of software called S Plus, who no one's ever heard of these days, Paul. I mean, they're scary how few people have heard of S Plus, but it's like a, obviously a precursor to R, right? And it, mm. and it was brilliant because as a consultant there, I got to experience such a broad range of industries mm. where I could just walk into clients and say, you know, and understand their ambitions, their constraints, their fears. And you could start with this and how you can borrow ideas from industry A and apply it in industry B. And, mm. and, and I learned so, so much at Insightful, you know, with brilliant people like David Smith and John James. And I also met a guy there called uh, Matt Aldrich, who was um, uh, on the commercial side, who I worked with particularly in life sciences. Mm-hmm. And, and whilst Insightful was great, we found was that, you know, Insightful was all about selling pieces of software, right? And, and ultimately, Matt and I in particular were more interested in trying to figure out how to help people solve the challenges they had. So, so sometimes yeah. they didn't quite connect to sell a piece of software. So uh, like all good companies, we sat in a pub and we chatted it through. And within an hour, we sketched out a plan, which I still have somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we, and we founded a company. We founded Mango back in November 20, uh, 2002 uh, as a company that helps organizations get more from their data. And we grew it for 18 years and then very exciting kind of uh, news uh, it, it, you know, very recently we were acquired back in November uh, by a company called Ascent, and that's just essentially supercharged the idea. So now we're basically yeah. building uh, the, the organization Mango at a faster rate. So really, kind of you know, serious growth backed by a, a pretty progressive PE company. So uh, mm. so really exciting times for us right now. Great, great. Thank you, thank you, Richard. Whistle stop tour, and I, I love the uh, archetypal uh, startup beginning in a pub. Uh, there should be some kind of uh, investing in, uh, they, they've got SPACs, there should be a way to invest in pubs as environments that will create startups or something. Um, the, the thing I was struck by hearing that story was your first engagement with automating and, and fo- staying focused on the coding, if you like, rather than needing to do so much of the kind of statistical work. And, and the point you made about because of the diversity of, of countries and industries you were you were learning in, borrowing ideas. I'm interested to hear, beyond getting drawn into being a coder and an automator, how did you learn the commercial nous, the analytical thinking, all the other bits beyond coding that are needed in order to be a really effective data scientist? Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good point, Paul. So I guess I was really influenced heavily by my role as a statistician, right, first of all. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I joined two organizations where I was a statistician and I was, you know, I was just at a university, so I was really kind of ambitious and, you know, pretty sure that what I was going to do is to do, you know, wonderful things for these companies and just going to end up, I don't know, in massive bonuses and, and so on. That was kind of what I wanted to do. And I remember being quite disappointed, I think, with, with the role of stats in these organizations. And, and you might have seen this, right, which is, you know, in, in organizations that are analytically mature, like pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies, particularly back in the late 90s, early 2000s, mm. analytics was really a reactive back office function mm. in many ways, mm. right? You know, you, you solve the same problems over and over again, very often with the same algorithms and so on. But, you know, I remember once, when, and I was just at a university, like I say, in my, in my first job, and I bumped into one of the leaders of the organization, um, which we didn't really have access to. And I, I, I happened to bump into this guy and I said, look, you know, I'm, just at university, I understand what modeling can do and I really want to, you know, what are your challenges right now? How do, how do I help? And I, I think he looked at me like I just kind of got a light, arrived from a different planet because, you know, <laughs> the, the role of stats modeling was really, that, that really wasn't proactive, right? Mm. I think in contrast, if you look where data science is right now, you know, that's really about that far more 
proactive activity where you can make a, a bigger impact. So, so I guess, yeah, beyond the, you know, beyond the analytics stuff and, and, the, and the programming stuff, I think where, where my passion's always been is actually, is the so what question, right? So, you know, mm. I can do all this modeling, but how close is that to a decision-making process to actually Im- generate an impact in, in, the, uh, mm. in an organization? Mm. And, I, you know, and I think that's obviously that, that kind of shift in mindset, if you like, is a really different way of thinking about what's possible. But I think it's, it's, where, it's where the phrases like data science really kind of like are, are a really good, and I can be, you know, I'm a bit cynical about the phrase data science itself, obviously, um, but it's where it's where that offers an opportunity, I think, right now to actually really have good conversations about driving decisions and building efficiencies, as opposed to being a, you know, I, I'll, I'll do I'll do some back end modeling, which is which is kind of where where I started in my career. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear that. Rich. It's funny how how different our experience of the statistician role is. Maybe it's having been in an insurance company rather than more the kind of pharmaceutical kind of side, but. My, I'm going to risk insulting actuaries here now, but my experience was more that highly skilled and intelligent though they were, actuaries were priesthood practically, who, who learned things by rote, had certain methods, and you didn't have curiosity, you did it the right way. Um, and I can remember coming in as a person from more an IT background, inheriting a statistician who didn't want to take actuarial exams, so it was already considered odd. Um, and that I found that his mindset was curious to want to explore as mine was. And it was that mindset that actually led us into developing analytics and data science capabilities eventually in the team, because we weren't like the actuarial, more rigid thinking, as I put it. W- would you recognize that? Yeah, absolutely. I was absolutely um, stitched up, I think is a phrase, in recent <laughs> years, where I was asked to come and present at the Institute of Life Factories in Dublin a few years ago. Ooh. And um, I, I, we, the, the, the idea was, right, is that the session was about actuaries versus data scientists. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think you can spin that into, you know, traditional stats, methodology, thinking, et cetera, versus kind of more modern, maybe kind of approaches. Um, yeah. But yeah, in the room, and the idea was that I was, I had a friend of mine, uh, Chris Reynolds, who was the actuary in, in the partnership and I was the data scientist. And we were going through and, and the idea was he was going to speak to a person and I was going to speak. And at the end of his slides, he presented this one slide that was like a picture of a dinosaur. And it said, so Rich is here to tell us all, there's like 500 actuaries in a room, right? <laughs> Rich is here to tell us all why we're all now extinct and why data science is the future. And so he completely stitched me up, but it was a great conversation. And I think mm. I've seen that, you know, in, I suppose that if you think about the world, or I think about the world in terms of like, and let's be mature organizations like, you know, insurance, pharmaceutics and banking and so on versus the more immature. And I think the challenges are so different, right? Because in, in analytically immature um, organizations, the belief in what's, you know, in the results is lower sometimes, mm. but the remit is broader, right? You know, I've worked in like a Premier League football team where, you know, it's been, um, you know, change my business. You can go anywhere, essentially. Yeah, versus yeah. You know, if you go into insurance or, or pharmaceutics, you can name the two we've been talking about. I actually think that the role of analytics has been has been well established and so it's trusted, mm-hmm. but almost the be broadening the remit of what's possible and 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 where analytics belongs in the organization becomes some sometimes a challenge just just culturally. So so mm-hmm. great to hear that you were able to make that 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 shift in mindset. But I think a lot of organizations in those kind of companies sometimes struggle with that. Mm, yeah, and that's a good point. I've seen that as well, which I uh, agreed. I, I'm interested, actually, 
let's build on what you've shared, but beyond what some organizations have been doing for ages. So let, let's think about some of those insurance companies. You know, I, I was creating and leading analytics functions in an insurance company 30 years ago. So some of them have got this long tenure of advanced statistics, analytics, modeling. A lot of the work they do would be work that people would call data science now. Um, but some of them would say, well, what does data science really bring extra to the party? Is it just a relabeling? Because there's a few new algorithms, but I could take a logistic regression approach to that. You know, I could do some other clustering or, well, I don't want to get into clustering because I'll get in trouble with Nick Radcliffe, but uh, <laughs> other analytical approaches. What really, beyond all the hype, does data science offer to those kind of organizations, would you say, beyond just attitude? What's, what's yeah. new, Rich? Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question. So I, I think that you, you mentioned it there, and it's probably worth pointing out, you know, data science is a renabling statistics. I mean, it, just to be clear, that's exactly where that term came from, right? You know, yeah. uh, Professor Jeff, who back in 1997, suggested data science as an alternative or, or a better way of describing what a statistician does. Hmm. And so he, he campaigned, you know, he said, that's a, a better phrase. And of course, nothing, you know, that, that phrase didn't get picked up in that, in that context at the time. And it wasn't really until the back end of the big data movement that marketing departments started using data science in order to, you know, to kind of label kind of, you know, expensive AI solutions and so on. So, you know, absolutely data science came from a point of it's a relabeling, it's a marketing thing mm. uh, and so on. And I, I, but I think that what, what data science does for me is it allows you to have a better conversation about what, about analytics, right? So I suppose that's one thing, you know, if you, you know, cynically, if you go to a board in an organization and say, can I have, a, you know, a million pounds to do statistics, you, you're probably not going to get the, the funding. But if you go in and say, oh, I've got this AI project. Oh, yeah, I have the money. Right. So, so, it, but, you yeah. know, well, I'm very cynical about this, obviously, but but it does represent an opportunity to have a good conversation about what a what the proactive use of stats modeling allows you to do. Right. Yeah. Which, which is exactly where I always try to get to. And I think that the other thing that it does is it also it also broadens the, um, not just that therefore the range of challenges that you can really get involved in. So, you know, whether it's HR or pricing or whatever it is you get involved in, but also the range of techniques that are available become, you know, massive, except, you know. I, I mean, you mentioned insurance. I know of a guy, uh, a really, really talented guy called Michael Carpenter, who uh, presented on this a few years ago at um, the Earl Conference that we, we ran, the R Conference. Yeah. And um, he was talking about this idea that, you know, in insurance company where he was, you know, people were really still based on, you know, using GLMs. You know, it was still, if it wasn't a logistic regression, yep. what, you, what you're thinking. And, and he actually ran yeah. internal CAGO competitions in his underwriting and pricing teams around, well, you know, can we actually improve on this? And, and, and sure enough, in the early days, the statisticians were winning out. But the data scientists, after a while, just by using different techniques and more machine learning-based techniques, started to gradually, you know, improve and, and eventually ended up beating... The, the kind of traditional approaches hands right. down, and that, and that just see, that just shows that you know the 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 world on on, on the around that sort of algorithmic set, if you like it, pretty machine learning is mm. evolving so quickly that if you just blink into that, you're going to you, I think you're going to lose out. Okay, okay, that makes sense, and I, I kind of hear the wealth of I suppose that the buzzword these days is ecosystem, but let's say community mm. that that there is around that to to support that kind of thinking, but. I guess listening to you, it, 
as well as the fact that it's just a relabeling that might get you more investment, which I absolutely hear, you know, and I was I was willing to do that when it was CRM and past technologies where yeah. the right word has got you money. Um, but is are you really saying that the secret sauce, if you like, is the attitude? Is it the attitude with which data scientists approach transforming the business and investigating problems more than particular algorithms or coding languages are what give the real breakthrough compared with traditional statistics? I, I really think it is, Paul. You know, I, I, and so for me, you know, I, okay, I'm a, I'm a practicing data scientist by, by, you know, at heart, right? So I love to talk about technology. I love to talk about algorithms and so on. But, yeah. but the reality of the situation in, a, in an organization is that culture beats asking the right question, beats the way you think about the problem, beats the algorithm, beats the tech, right? So, yeah. you know, and I think one of the biggest pitfalls of data science, which I've seen over and over again, is that you end up brilliantly solving the wrong problem. Right? Yes, and yes. I, I, how much time and money has been wasted there, right? And, and so what I've had, to, and what I've kind of understood over the years, I guess, is that fundamentally data science is about, is about change, right? You know, mm. I could build the best model in the world, you know, what, you know, it's, if it's a, I don't know, a model around how you retain high value customers, like a churn model, but, you know, a prescriptive mm -hmm. version of that, let's mm -hmm. say, you know, I could build that and it could be brilliant. It can sit on my laptop, but if it's sat on my laptop and no one in the business changes their behavior, that was worthless because, yeah. you know, there's no value going to be reached. And so, so I think that, I think for me, a lot of data science was about two things. One, one that's been mentioned earlier on. So, curiosity about the why right so yeah you know if if you're working with a business user you know their ability to understand what's possible with data is usually quite limited so they would ask you a question and and you've got to ask well why is that why is that mm. I, I churn's a great example right so the number of times i get asked to do a churn project and the the expected output is you know you take you take my list of customers and i'm going to give you a propensity score against each of them yeah. about whether or not that customer is going to leave in the next three months yeah. And, and, you know, that's the expectation, right? And so, you know, you end up with, uh, you know, Paul Lachlan's in my list and, you know, Paul is 62% likely to leave in the next three months. Yeah. And I sit there as a, as a scientist going, so what? So, yeah. so what would you do with that? Does that mean, is that good? Is that not mm -hmm. good? Mm -hmm. Is Paul even an important customer of ours? And so actually flipping that question, you know, if you're talking to a business user, if you just go away now and run at that problem and solve that problem analytically, it has maybe a little bit of value. But a little bit of conversation and talking about, you know, well, actually, the real question is not who is most likely to leave, but how do I behave in order to retain my high value customers? Now, that's a much, much better question. Mm -hmm. And so I think curiosity of actually getting to the crux of what someone's to achieve is one thing. And then the other thing for me is, is about data science, about empathy. So actually understanding mm -hmm. what that person's going through, what their, what their hopes are, what their, what their fears are, what their constraints are, you know, putting those two things together with the possibilities of data science, which are, which are vast. Yeah. I think within that, you can really construct something that's really impactful, really compelling and grounded in, you know, and set up for success and, and with change, you know, as, as a core part of the conversation, as opposed mm -hmm. to, oh, that sounds interesting. Let me go off and do an interesting project <laughs> on my laptop. Yeah. And, oh, I did this really cool thing that is never going to add value. And, and so that's kind of just been a, I, th I think that's where data science is a real opportunity. And I, but I think if that's where it's a, a mindset sh shift change for me, right? And that's where the skills, the soft skills, if you like, become so important for a successful data science team. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you preach into my heartland of what I'm passionate about, which you, you know that I'd, I'd agree with you 100% on that. 
I'm keen to explore this a bit further, actually, then. So much has been written about all the different skills and capabilities needed in data science teams, much of it supporting different aspects you've brought out. I know when we've talked before, you've also mentioned a tool called Radar, which um, you've developed at Mango to help think about um, elements of the softer skills, the the makeup, if you like, of competency that's needed for a successful data scientist. Do you want to explain a bit about what that is Mm -hmm. for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so within that area, so obviously I've been a practicing data scientist for for, for many years and Mm -hmm. people would come to Mango and say, please, can you help us execute this data science project? Mm-hmm. And um, and once we've done that for a number of years and, you know, we started getting asked by people to, to help advise them on various aspects of their business or to, to help them essentially accelerate their data science teams and, and mm-hmm. so on. So so it we, we just naturally as a progression, I guess, of our experience, just kept getting asked about um, more of a kind of coming in and helping in a more of an advisory capacity, if you like. And, and some of the things that we kept getting asked about were things like, um, can you come in and assess the skills in my team? Or, um, you know, can you come in and help me design a good job advert for a data scientist, let's say, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember, you know, we had these conversations where, you know, I'd be asked to look at a job description and the job description would say, you know, I'm trying to hire a data scientist. And I remember one that was just a beautiful example of this, where it was, you need to be, you know, familiar with these 20 technologies, these 50 algorithms. And there was this, be- there was this beautiful phrase that summed it up for me, which was, um, you need to be equally happy talking about complex error structures with practitioners or talking to the board, right? And I, and I just thought it was a lovely sentence that, that summed up just mm. everything that was wrong about you know, data science job adverts at the time. So, so what we had to do is, you know, we had to really bring our philosophy about skills to, to the table. And, and we've been doing this for years, right? We had this kind of um, uh, internal really kind of like um, recruitment conversation tool really uh, okay. which was about, you know, the different kind of skill sets that make up a data science team. And, and we brought, we, we boiled it into six personas, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, communicator, data wrangler, programmer, technologist, modeler, visualizer. So everything from skill sets, so communication, how you present results, how you work with a business suit, uh, technologies, how you deploy algorithms, you know, get vision control, et cetera, uh, yeah. DevOps. And, and so on. So, so and, and what we were looking for in our internal team was a balance. So we realized very quickly that these, you know, these data science unicorns that everyone's after, they just, yes. they just don't exist, right? I, I, I've been trying to hire them now for 18 years. They just don't exist. But actually what you can do is you can understand, using the kind of radar as an example, you can understand, um, you know, what complementary skills look like. So actually in my team, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my team, I want to build all the complementary skills that are needed to actually succeed. But if I have someone who's a brilliant programmer, you know, brilliant in R or Python, let's say, or and a brilliant modeler, but is quite shy, let's say, yeah. then that's a fantastic member of my team, right? But a number of member of my team might be like myself, right? I talk a lot. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not shy, you know, not low on confidence point. You have to talk about the value <laughs> of data, you know. But you know, these days my coding skills are a bit rusty. So you know, and I think that I've been able to build a team of complementary skills is really where the radar is, is really used. And we use it as a concept for advisory and also now as a piece of software where, where teams can actually come and assess their team skills and look for gaps and so nice. on. So, so, so just, a really, just a really nice way, a concept for, for having good discussions, I think, is where, where the radar really came from. Nice, nice. Th- th- thank you for sharing that. 
Are you suggesting then, uh, based on, I guess, your own experience, Mango and, and these clients who are asking you for help, that the recruitment approach, certainly the interview approach, gets flexed depending which part of the model you're trying to fill in the team. So would you have like quite a technical interview with your shy retiring technologist? Would you get someone to have to present to you for the communication bit or visualize some data for you for the visualizer? Are you, is it a flex the recruitment approach depending what you need? Yeah, I guess what we're looking, so uh, this, was, uh, this was a bit of advice given to us by um, uh, Matt's father when, when, when we started the company. Uh, we, we were talking about hiring in the early, early days, obviously, of, of the company. And Matt's dad said, you know what, just surround yourself by great people and things will be great. And, and, I, and it's always stuck, stuck with me that really, you know, if you surround yourself by really, really good people, then great things happen. And that's always been the philosophy at Mango. And so when we start looking at data scientists, the idea that we have prerequisites around, you know, communication and, you know, math and uh, coding and technology and business, you know, so and, and unless you meet this huge exacting standard, we can't hire you. We'd never hire anyone, right? Because the unicorns don't exist in that, in that space. Okay. Um, so what we have at Mango is we have the idea of what we call a minimally viable data scientist, right? So we have okay. this idea of what is the minimum skill set you need in each of these six, six personas that allows you just to operate well within the team, right? right? And so because of the way we work, for example, the technology and the programming uh, persona scores have to be quite high. Right, so I, I really need you to understand coding fundamentally, and I need you to be able to operate well with a kind of like DevOps framework that, because otherwise you're not going to be able to actually, you know, interact with the rest of the team well. Okay. And then I'm looking for, do you understand modeling fundamentally versus, uh, you know, versus I can throw X algorithms and so on. But we're just looking for what we call it, because it's like a radar diagram. We, we look for spiky people, right? We're looking for people yes. who meet the minimum requirements, and then we're actually looking at teasing out at least each, each of those personas you know, where, where do you lie? So you're absolutely right. What happens is we start off with an expectation about the minimally viable, and then we actually start exploring those different personas and working out how far up that persona, if you like, you get. And, that, and that's how we hire a really good team of people as opposed to, you know, um, omitting people because they don't have a specific strength in a certain area, because we've probably got that somewhere else, right? That makes sense. I, I like MVDS. That's nice. Minimum viable data scientist. That's exactly. nice. I, I wonder whether you um, overlay the radar charts then of individuals to look at what the team shape does. Is that what you're looking for? Is that the spikes complement? Yeah, exactly right. So what we do is when uh, when someone comes into into at Mango, we get them to fill in this uh, the radar, which is essentially a questionnaire that you know focuses on the six personas. Oh, we then have using a platform, we can then actually overlay that with the existing team and say, oh, that fills a really good gap here. Or a mm. gap there mm. and then we understand before the interview when we actually start the interview then we can we can really understand and, and a lot of what we try and do as well is flip between the personas so we will take someone really let's say deep into the mathematical thing right so you know i get to a point where you you know we're talking about really complex i don't know machine learning of techniques or math or whatever it is yeah and then we'll go that's really really interesting and maybe we've got a lot of greek letters on a whiteboard somewhere now explain to me, you know, explain that to me, uh, or explain that again as if you're talking to my my mum, right? You know, or yeah. or you know, that's really cool. What's that used for then? You know, and, and I think the flip between yeah. kind of often is is the is the the really interesting part for me of, of the of the interview process. But um, but yeah, no, that's been that's been massively useful for us to read Great, great, great. Thank you for sharing that, which I'm sure that's going to be relevant for a number of listeners to to think about that kind of approach. 
I don't want to go past um, your your passion and commitment to the R community. So you've been very active in that for years. We've talked about it before, I know. Do you still see that as the language of choice that all analysts or data scientists should learn? What's your view on the um, greater success, some would say now, of Python or the King community around Julia or some of the other programming languages? Yeah, no, as you know, Paul, a huge, huge fan of R. And, and really, I... You know, I, I was really lucky that um, to be part of that community, you know, during during my career. And, and when we started Mango years ago, you know, that was at a time where, you know, the data, if you like, the data science movement was starting and people were looking yeah. more proactively with analytics and big data. And so, you know, you can talk about our community as being a fantastic community and its strengths around graphics and so on. But for me, R was just exactly the right technology at exactly the right time, right? People right. were looking for a way of exploring, they were looking for a more flexible option and things like the SaaS that was the incumbent at the time. And it came along exactly at the right time. So, so you know, I, I, I find, you know, I feel really privileged I've been, you know, a small part of that community. Um, but, and I think, that, and I think that when I look at R now, I think it is still really strong in areas, particularly where there's a statistical heritage, if you like. So again, insurance, pharmaceutics, banking, those kind of areas, the retail, mm. You know, and, and R is growing in its use, which is which is really great to see. But of course, these days you've also got things like Python and Julia and so on, which are equally you know equally strong languages. And I, and 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 I I think the world has absolutely had enough of you know blog posts about whether R or Python is better because you know, <laughs> I, I I think yeah. they're both incredibly powerful technologies, right? Mm -hmm. And I, but I you know I come back to you know if you've got you know, if you look at the two technologies, if you take R and Python for a second, right? There are things you could look at and go, oh, Python is better at X, R is better at Y. But yeah. these days, these days you can call one from the other. And actually, my team are pretty conversant in R and Python, right? So, mm -hmm. so you know, you 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 can you can kind of do whatever you need to. But again, you need to be able to actually have the technologies to actually implement your ideas. And whether that's R or Python or Julia, it's Spark or it's Periscope, whatever you're trying to use, yeah. as long as you've got the algorithms and you can implement something that's been deployed properly and so on, you can then you know, you can then build on that to say, well, actually, what are the questions that we're actually going to solve? How do we impact the business and so on? And so for me, you know, the question of R versus Python versus Julia, as long as you are conversant in one of those, I would say, you know, I, I think that's enough. And, and so, and so, yeah, there are reasons you sometimes you choose one or the other, but I, I think, I think Python and Julia are, you know, as, as effective tools in the right hands as R and, and it allows us all to just kind of like, you know, Put that to one side. Okay, great. Now, how do we how do we actually go and uh, and, and generate some value in an organisation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I I hear that priority of focus. So yeah, th thanks for asking that, Rich. You you wrote a blog post for me uh, for Customer Insight Leader blog a few years ago on the topic of data science readiness. Obviously, you as Mango, um, you're engaging still with a lot of different organisations at these different levels of maturity that you mentioned. I wonder, you are you still finding organisations that need in the way that you talked about in that post to get themselves ready for a move to data science? Uh, and if you are, what's the biggest barrier that's still there? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So, so I, th I think that we still, we still work with a lot of organizations who, who, who really want to get into data science. Um, mm. But very often, the, when, you, when you drill into why, 
then there's still a gap there, right? And I think that mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the biggest barrier for me right now. Because and, and I think in that post, you know, um, you know, we talked about things like technical readiness and data and, and so yeah. on. Um, and I, I think it's quite an interesting area, but I think more and more these days I look at, you know, are, are you ready for, for data science? Is like saying, are you ready for change? Right? Because yes. are you ready to do things differently than you did mm-hmm. today? Because if you're not ready to change, then you know investment in data science is going to be just wasted, wasted mm. investment. Right? So, um, so I think that we still, and I, I think it's really impacted a lot the way we talk about um, how you find the right initiatives to go after. Right? You know, and so very often when we talk about initiatives, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, well, what change does, does, is this going to require? You know, mm. are people culturally ready for change? Mm. You know, we did a project recently where a customer wanted us to do a big, big data science project. And in the, in the first couple of days, we realized that actually in order to do this project, you would need to change your entire phone system in your organization at the cost of tens of millions of pounds. And I said, you're yeah. ready to do that? And they said, no. And it was like, well, good news. I've just saved you half a million pounds or whatever it is, right? Because <laughs> I could have built this beautiful thing, but you know, it's, yeah. it was, so, so I think, I think people, people need, organizations need to understand that data science and all this stuff is really about change. And if you're not ready for it, then um then, then don't do it and i see a lot of i can say a, a lot of wasted time in, in investment right now in in just doing analytics for analytics sake because you know and I, i've got peers in the industry right who've been hired as chief data scientists organize into organizations mm. and six months later they left the organization i say what what's happened and they were like well they weren't ready for me they, they you know they just yeah. they felt like they should have one um but i ended up doing a bit of data engineering or they didn't quite understand that you know, when I went in and talked to CFO about how I'm going to, you know, improve her or his his life through data science, they didn't understand what I was talking about. So, so yeah. I, I think I think I think it's about, you know, when I talk to organisations about analytics, it's about well, where are you trying to get to as an organisation, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and actually then data science is just a tool, just an enabler for that. Yeah, that, that, that makes good sense. I hear lots of parallels with, I talk to organisations also about um, digital transformation, done some work with mm. University of South Wales on that. And it so much seems to boil down to, I guess, what you raised earlier with the, the example of churn. Why? <laughs> what, what are you trying to achieve? And organisations not being clear enough on the business driver, the customer and environmental driver as to why change needs to happen and what they're seeking to achieve can just end up in this, oh, I want one too. You know, everyone's going to have a big data strategy now. Everyone's going to have data science. Oh, me too. And yeah, yeah. That, that, that is always a hiding to nothing. And it has been for donkey's years. It's, it's the same problem when people rushed out and bought Siebel systems for CRM because they think they had to have one. It, it's, it, you're right. It's the hype. Right? I mean, we, we've, mm. we've lived with this hype now for years. And, and I, have a, I have a philosophy that it's the same people who are selling databases in the you know, 80s, <laughs> That are now selling, you know, that then went to, to a period of selling, you know, data lakes and then now they're selling AI solutions. And, it, yeah. and in order to, you know, in order to, um, to sell these things, you, you have to overhype the value, right? You know, mm-hmm. and I always remember, I always remember that the Walmart was the, one of the big, big data case studies, right? Where, you know, Walmart installed this, you know, built this data lake and wonderful things happened. And you drill into that story and talk to some of the people on the ground and it was, it was ridiculous, really, you know. Actually, what happened is Walmart built this massive data lake, and then literally nothing happened for two years, apart from meetings about why they're spending so much money on this data lake thing, and why there's 20 people in Texas running or whatever it was running this thing, mm-hmm. and, and and then it just so happened that two people, you know, were working on two different projects, so the data happened to be in the same data lake, and within a week, essentially, they built this product and made Walmart billions. 
But the way the story was told was, oh, you know, we we built a data lake and there and, and we made billions. You know, it's well, hang on a second. And so and so there were stories like that. And I, I find myself very often, and, and you probably do too, Paul, where you know I end up in organizations where people, you know, this the, almost the conversation has started with, oh, so AI is magic. Where do we start? And I go, well, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. you know, you don't start there. Or, you know, we've got loads of data, there must be massive value in it, do something, you know. And I think that those. Those starting points driven by the hype are, are, are really difficult. And I think that it takes a long time sometimes to get back to, well, where do you want to be as an organization? And therefore, what's the, you know, what's the, you know, what's the right approach and roadmap? And yeah, yeah. so I, but I, so I think we're still responding to the hype in many ways, right? Yeah, that, that, that makes sense because it's funny. It reminds me of memories way, way, way back after building a data warehouse years ago, seeing all the threat that the hype was beginning to be recognized and it was going to become a data graveyard. And some of the driver behind beginning to form an analytics team and do work on customer retention was, I didn't want this warehouse I was proud of building to become a data graveyard. We're blooming well going to get on and use it. you know. So yeah, yeah. We, we focused on some problems that people were walking past and missing. And as... As your example at Walmart, you can actually often make millions on the low-hanging fruit of things that haven't been tackled for years. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you mentioned earlier that I talked at conferences. I was asked to, um, I was recently asked to give a presentation on the future of big data, which right. was, um, which I thought was an interesting title that was given. So I came, I went back and said, you know, I'm not going to talk about the future of big data, but I'm happy to come and talk about why big data is dead, but it isn't really. And um, and the guy said, well, that sounds really exciting. Can we do that? And I, you know, essentially, because I think that's kind of the, a really good example, right, where, you know, big data was massively overhyped. I remember the times where, you know, it didn't matter, didn't matter what the question was, the answer was definitely. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, and I think that, you know, obviously the big data was deemed to have kind of died in some way, right? Now, I remember, I think it was 2017 on the Gartner uh, hype curve where, where Hadoop was deemed obsolete. But it didn't die, it just became business as usual, right? I mean, yeah. the idea these days, if I want to work with a massive data set, I can do that these days, but I couldn't have done it 20 years ago. And so, you know, the term big data may have kind of like, maybe you can't say that as loudly these days, but yeah. the, the, the change, if you like, the business as usual stuff has stayed. And I wonder if the same thing is going to happen with data science. It may be in five years time, yeah. people go, oh, I invested in data science and I didn't get any value back. Therefore that becomes, you know, you can't talk with data science anymore, that, that, that died. But actually the way of using data mm. to drive, you know, to build a leaner, smarter more engaging organization i think that's that's got to stay right it's just from a darwinism perspective if nothing else to be yes. dramatic right but so we'll see what happens with the language around data science in the future nice, nice summary which completely recognize that okay conscious we're we're running toward the end of our time it's been a really thoroughly enjoyable conversation there's a few questions i like to standardly ask leaders to serve different parts of the community for this podcast so let me do a few quick fire ones with you um, I'm sure you're still developing as a leader, knowing the kind of person that you are. Where are you focusing in your personal development as a leader at the moment? So there's, there's two quick uh, sides to that. I suppose one is just my knowledge of advanced analytics and machine learning in particular. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a statistician by training. So, mm. you know, happy with frequentist and Bayesian lenses and so on. But, right. you know, I graduated 20 years ago, of course. So, you know, mm. machine learning has come on leaps and bounds in that time. So my evenings are just spent researching things like, you know, new research papers. So at the moment I'm really into, you know, object detection and looking at, you know, generative adversarial networks and so on. And, and so I have to keep up to date with that just so I can bring that to, a, to, to the table. 
And I suppose on the other side is that, you know, I've spent 18 years running a business where I've learned an awful lot about, you know, everything from tax to EBITDA to cultural change and so on. Yeah. Um, but I, I still really try and focus in those areas. And, and now obviously I'm working in an organization that's backed by a private equity firm, very different mm. model. And mm. so just, just continuing to understand business mechanics and how they can be impacted by data becomes a, you know, a second, you know, another, another kind of um, mm. thing I'm really actively developing still at the moment. I don't think I've ever stopped, I guess, but, but I love learning. So I'm probably, <laughs> if I got through all of that, I'd probably uh, keep going with something else. I'm sure you would. And it's good to hear, Rich. It's a, it's a, a passion that drives leaders to success. And I like that, that mixture of the technical knowledge you need to have in your craft and the commerciality. That makes, makes good sense. Um, another part of our community listening to this podcast are younger, probably earlier in their careers. Um, a number of them may be wondering, I suspect, these days about going on and becoming a data scientist. Or they may be started on that route. What skills or knowledge, given what you've learned about what data scientists really use in practice, would you encourage them to develop? Yeah, so we've got a grand team and program internally that so so I, I regularly get to talk to, to to those guys about, you know, a career as a data scientist. And I, and I think the things we try and instill is, you know, like I said earlier, you know, a, a, a passionate curiosity, you know, around why am I doing what I'm doing? Right. You know, the, mm. the idea, and, and, and it's a shame, you know, I talked to someone recently who was, you know, we'd done an MSc in data science and I said, well, what did you do on your, your course? And it was all about, you know, I learned about random forests and I learned about net, real networks and I learned about Spark and Python and R and mm. it's like, cool. I said, did you do any, any, you know, any modules on how you find the right question, how you interact with the business, why you're doing this in the first place, how you ideate around something, how do you, how do you abstract the problem so it's actually easy to solve and so on? And the answer was no, they didn't do any of that sort of stuff. But I think I think that's really the things to focus on is the is you know if you've got a problem and you just throw an XG boost at it, then then you you you're not thinking about the problem well enough in in my mind. So yeah. so I think there's like I say the skills are really a, a fundamental curiosity about how you can do things better and an empathy with who you're talking to to you know to really be able to sit in there, you know, kind of stand in their shoes, if you like, and, and, mm. and sort of better formulate questions that are going to actually make an impact. So it's, uh, I suppose those, those, it's those kind of soft skills and that curiosity and that passion that, that I think makes a really, really good data scientist, um, above beyond someone who understands how to implement a set of algorithms and coding. Mm. Makes good sense. Thank, thanks, Rich. Good example. Another thing I always close on as a question, um, uh, shamelessly stolen from Dave Stahoviak's brilliant Coaching for Leaders podcast, um, is to ask leaders who are on here to give me an example of something they've changed their mind on in the last few years. I ask it because I want people to recognise that even when they hear from successful people like you, Richard, um, and, and people like us can often have quite opinionated views, we're still learning and changing, and it's that adaptability that's important as well. So what have you changed your mind on in the last few years? Yeah, it's um, yeah, no, I know what you mean, and I think obviously in our field as well, Paul. You know, the the field is changing dramatically right, in the last twenty years as well. Um, something I've changed my mind on in the last few years. I guess the value of a data strategy, which may this may not be the right thing to be talking about openly, but but when when, the, when that term came along and started to be used, and I was going to CDO conferences, I thought, what a brilliant, brilliant mechanism! Right, what a great way of creating a clear narrative around how data will be used to deliver. Business mm -hmm. objectives. What what a great mechanism! And I remember in the early days of that consulting on data strategies and finding massively valuable experiences. 
sometimes not just because of the strategy itself, just, just more because of it allows you to have a really good structured conversation. So I, I was given strategies that were actually data management strategies or a data platform strategy. And you can have conversation about, well, what about the cultural side? Or how about the lack of connectivity to the business aims? And, and so really, really good. And um, so I was really excited about the strategy work and I, I really enjoyed that. And then I think in the last few years, um, I became quite illusioned with whether data strategies were were worth worth time, frankly. And, I, and the reason for that, I think, is that you know, I started to see examples where you know maybe some of the the, the very large consultancies would, would come in and and you know data strategy became something that you know unless it was a five hundred slide deck, then it wasn't yes. worth looking at. And yes. you know, and 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 you end up in a situation where even I was I'd be working with you know small companies who were being given this strategy that had massively overbearing governance structure and a complete mm. lack of focus on the practical aspects of so I you know I I I find myself I think quite disillusioned with with that to a point almost where in meetings I'd almost I'd almost try and avoid using the words data and strategy together in the same sentence because it, right. you know, what you need is a data transformation plan or a roadmap or a, you know right. but then I was luck I was lucky enough that I got involved in the um, the FCA's data strategy and got to work with them uh, a fantastic guy called Steve Green, and 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 there was data strategy done really well, like a really proper, pragmatic, well thought through strategy. It was all about creating, you know, uh, a clear narrative about how data will empower a forward-looking financial regulator. Hmm. And I think since then, I you know, I I kind of, I guess I changed my mind on on uh, the cynicism, I guess, born out of this this kind of um, that disillusionment. And at the moment, I'm working on two or three really good strategies right now where. You know, if it's done well, I think the strategy almost becomes secondary to the conversation you're having and to the plan and the roadmap. But it's, you know, really well balanced across the different pillars, clear mm. narrative, and, and, and most importantly, you know, a clear connection between the organizational goals and, and the strategy through clearly articulated domains, right? So, so I think that I've, I've, kind of, I've kind of changed my mind and flipped up a bit on it, but I'm really very much in the camp these days that a data strategy done well and done in a very mm. practical and pragmatic way mm. is can be immensely powerful to align your organization around common goals. Great, great. Lovely weaving of a few themes from our conversation there, which actually I'm really hearing mm. that kind of engagement with with why and what you're going to do with it, that the talking and engagement with the business. And it listening to you, it almost sounded like the story of data strategy going through the Gartner hype cycle. You know, you've got to <laughs> yeah. that profit disillusionment and you're back to that pragmatic realistic BAU use um, so yeah nice example and not one I've heard before thank you for sharing that that's great uh, thanks for your time today which I, I as I expected I could have talked to you for hours longer it's been a pleasure no that's that's great Paul always good to talk to you and um, yeah thanks for the invite very welcome and thank you everyone for listening as well I hope you found that helpful continue to listen to the customer insight leader podcast more great interviews coming up and each week, there's also fresh content on our blog, customerinsightleader, all one word, dot com. So you might want to check that out too. Before then, thanks again for your time. Have a great week. Stay safe and enjoy your leadership journey. Bye for now.